Chapter 20 of The House on the Borderland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winteroud. The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson. Chapter 20 The Celestial Globes. For a while, many thoughts crowded my mind, so that I was unable to do aught save stare blindly before me. I seemed whelmed in a sea of doubt and wonder and sorrowful remembrance. It was later that I came out of my bewilderment. I looked about dazedly. Thus, I saw so extraordinary a sight that, for a while, I could scarcely believe I was not still wrapped in the visionary tumult of my own thoughts. Out of the reigning green had grown a boundless river of softly shimmering globes, each one enfolded in a wondrous fleece of pure cloud. They reached, both above and below me, to an unknown distance, and not only hid the shining of the green sun, but supplied, in place thereof, a tender glow of light that suffused itself around me, like unto nothing I have ever seen before or since. In a little, I noticed that there were about these spheres a sort of transparency, almost as though they were formed of clouded crystal, within which burned a radiance, gentle and subdued. They moved on, past me, continually floating onward at no great speed, but rather as though they had eternity before them. A great while I watched, and could perceive no end to them. At times I seemed to distinguish faces amid the cloudiness, but strangely indistinct, as though partly real and partly formed of the mistiness through which they showed. For a long time I waited, passively, with a sense of growing content. I had no longer that feeling of unutterable loneliness, but felt rather that I was less alone than I had been for calcas of years. This feeling of contentment increased, so that I would have been satisfied to float in company with those celestial globules forever. Ages slipped by, and I saw the shadowy faces with increased frequency, also with greater plainness. Whether this was due to my soul having become more attuned to its surroundings, I cannot tell. Probably it was so. But however this may be, I am assured now only of the fact that I became steadily more conscious of a new mystery about me, telling me that I had, indeed, penetrated within the borderland of some unthought-of region, some subtle, intangible place or form of existence. The enormous stream of luminous spheres continued to pass me at an unvarying rate, countless millions, and still they came, showing no signs of ending, nor even diminishing. Then, as I was borne silently upon the unboying ether, I felt a sudden irresistible forward movement toward one of the passing globes. An instant, and I was beside it. Then I slid through into the interior without experiencing the least resistance of any description. For a short while I could see nothing, and waited curiously. All at once I became aware that a sound broke the inconceivable stillness. It was like the murmur of a great sea at calm, a sea breathing in its sleep. Gradually the mist that obscured my sight began to thin away, and so in time my vision dwelt once again upon the silent surface of the sea of sleep. For a little I gazed and could scarcely believe I saw right. I glanced round. There was the great globe of pale fire, swimming, as I had seen it before, a short distance above the dim horizon. 
To my left, far across the sea, I discovered presently a faint line, as of thin haze, which I guessed to be the shore, where my love and I had met during those wonderful periods of soul-wandering that had been granted to me in the old earth days. Another, a troubled memory, came to me, of the formless thing that haunted the shores of the Sea of Sleep, the guardian of that silent, echoless place. These and other details I remembered and knew, without doubt that I was looking out upon the same sea. With the assurance, I was filled with an overwhelming feeling of surprise and joy and shaken expectancy, conceiving it possible that I was about to see my love again. Intently I gazed around, but could catch no sight of her. At that for a little I felt hopeless. Fervently I prayed and ever peered anxiously. How still was the sea! Down far beneath me I could see the many trails of changeful fire that had drawn my attention formerly. Vaguely I wondered what caused them. Also I remembered that I had intended to ask my dear one about them, as well as many other matters, and I had been forced to leave her, before the half that I had wished to say was said. My thoughts came back with a leap. I was conscious that something had touched me. I turned quickly. God, thou wert indeed gracious. It was she. She looked up into my eyes with an eager longing, and I looked down to her with all my soul. I should like to have held her, but the glorious purity of her face kept me afar. Then, out of the winding mist, she put her dear arms. Her whisper came to me, soft as the rustle of a passing cloud. Dearest, she said. That was all, but I had heard, and in a moment I held her to me, as I prayed forever. In a little, she spoke of many things, and I listened. Willingly, I would have done so through all the ages that are to come. At times I whispered back, and my whispers brought to her spirit face once more an indescribably delicate tint, the bloom of love. Later I spoke more freely, and to each word she listened and made answer delightfully, so that already I was in paradise. She and I, and nothing, save the silent spacious void to see us, and only the quiet waters of the sea of sleep to hear us. Long before, the floating multitude of cloud-enfolded spheres had vanished into nothingness. Thus we looked upon the face of the slumberous deeps, and were alone. Alone, God, I would have been thus alone in the hereafter, and yet be never lonely. I had her, and, greater than this, she had me. I, aeon-aged me, and on this thought, and some others, I hope to exist through the few remaining years that may yet lie between us. End of chapter 20 Recording by Alan Winteroud, boomcoach.blogspot.com